Welcome to MuggleCast 431. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club members this week, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. Hailing from Rhode Island, a new mother. (laughs) You are parenting who will be a big Harry Potter fan one day, I hope, right? Oh, yes. Yes. As you can see by the newborn photo shoot of the Harry Potter set that I had her in. Oh, wait. Was that yours that we posted on Instagram? Yeah, that's mine. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even make the connection. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Check out our Instagram for that. That was was really, really smart. I'm checking. Hold on. (laughs) Pause for Micah. Micah, don't you look at every single thing we post on our social media channels? Of course. I see she has an empty glass of butterbeer right next to her. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I, I, I almost put like a Hogwarts mug instead just like with the crest and then when i saw the butterbeer i was like oh it looks like yeah. she drank it all <laughs> when will be the right age to introduce baby eleanor to harry potter what what age do you think is the right age well once i start like reading books and stuff to her i'm gonna i'll start with the illustrated edition so she can like look at the pictures and stuff so maybe after one maybe two Oh, okay. Wow, that that's pretty young. I mean, I'm at oh. least going to start reading it so that she can just see the pictures and connect it and maybe connect it. But I mean, she definitely won't start understanding it until she's a little older. But I want to try reading early on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to let her decide if she wants to be a Harry Potter fan, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to at least push it a little bit. <laughs> right. If she decides she doesn't like it. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's not okay. Right. She you will have to like take it, it back. You get will, another one. Exchange you will it. be mad. You'll just be disappointed. Right. <laughs> um, I know that obviously she is new to the world, and there's still a lot of time uh, to learn about her personality. But based off of what you know so far, what house do you think she would be? Oh my god. Oh, this is yeah. This is tough because she's so brand new. Um, but her personality has been showing through more. I think between maybe a puff and a Gryffindor. Yeah. Does she poop like a puff? What? Or a Gryffindor? <laughs> well, how else can I you mean, tell? I mean, she's very <laughs> satisfied after she poops, and she likes to like make funny faces. So. Yeah, that's a Hufflepuff. Definitely Absolutely. Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> or Slytherin. Yeah. I mean, when yeah, when she has her like crazy blowouts and stuff, and she's like proud of them. Oh. Slightly Slytherin. Okay. Maybe. Now we're moving into TMI territory. (laughs) You opened this door, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You asked Andrew. I did. She's sleeping in a newt case, it looks like, with a Hufflepuff tie behind her. Yeah, because, well, yeah, that's my house. So I put that on her. Well, speaking of that, let's get your fandom ID. Favorite book is Goblet of Fire. Favorite movie is a toss-up, and I will have to explain Goblet of Fire and Half-Blood Prince. House is Hufflepuff. Ilvermorny House is Puckwaji. Patronus is a brown hair. Um, and then Harry Potter fan site back in the day. I mean, I always like checked in with MuggleNet, but I was a big like R- RPG fan back in the day. Oh, okay. And then Midnight Release Party, Deathly Hallows. I went to Boston. Um, and they had Harry and the Potters concert, and it was really awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. The reason we asked those last two questions is because on today's show, we're going to get ready for our Order of the Phoenix discussions by talking about 
the years in between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix being published. It was the longest gap between Harry Potter books. And it was a very important time for the fandom. So we're going to talk about why and what people were doing in today's episode to prepare for chapter by chapter Order of the Phoenix. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we have a great discussion prepared and it's nice to have you on, Stephanie. So thank you for joining us and thanks for your support. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Speaking of fandom, Wizards Unite Indianapolis is next week. Well, this week, this Labor Day weekend, I'm going to be there and I'm going to have some new MuggleCast promotional items to hand out to people. So if you see me, I'm going to be wearing a Deathly Hollows button-down t-shirt. Please say hello. The reason I already know that is because I'm on a, on a trip. Just that t-shirt? Yeah, just that t-shirt. No pants, no socks, no shoes. Nobody will notice. Everybody will be looking at their phone the whole time. It's Wizard Unite weekend. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yay. <laughs> Too true. So if you see me at the Wizards Unite Fan Festival, I'm going to be... On the ground Saturday, please say hi. And then Sunday, I'll be recording with these guys talking about the weekend. Keep an eye out for me, please. And I'll hand you our new MuggleCast promotional item. They'll be sticking out of my pocket, I think. (laughs) Your shirt pocket. I don't know why I had to mention that, but I did. Huh? Your shirt pocket. Shirt pocket. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Well, you're not wearing any pants, so where else are you going to put them? (laughs) True. Very true. And guys, and Stephanie, you three are going to be at LeakyCon Boston this October? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will be, Eric and I, as, uh, Stephanie as well, you just mentioned, will be at LeakyCon in Boston, October 11th through the 13th. It's going to be at the Seaport Hotel and World Trade Center. It is the 10th anniversary of LeakyCon. They started it all back in Boston, so they're returning 10 years later. And uh, they actually just released an initial schedule that people can check out. I know they've made a couple of announcements about uh, talent that are going to be there. Dan Fogler, who plays Jacob in Fantastic Beasts, and then also Chris Rankin, who played Percy Weasley in the Potter films. And I'm sure more announcements to come, but I know, Eric, uh, we're looking forward to it. Definitely. Definitely. It's good. It's good to be back. Leaky's been good to us. We just, it's like going home, seeing all of our friends at these Harry Potter cons. Listeners who are thinking of attending, we do have a special discount code through MuggleCast, and it's actually just the code MUGGLE. So if you're checking out for registration for LeakyCon Boston, enter code MUGGLE and get $10 off uh, your registration. Just a little something we can do for all of our listeners who are going there. And I know Mike and I will be, as you said, on these uh, panels throughout the weekend. So it'll be a good opportunity to see us and chat with us and uh, as well as thousands of other Harry Potter fans. Now, is there going to be a MuggleCast meetup? We betcha. Yes. <laughs> yeah, do something. I was, I was trying to be vague there, Micah, but you're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Details to be determined, but yes, we will have a meetup. People have been asking, and they're also going to be there all three, four days, so you will get a chance to see them if, if you're there, no matter what day you go. Just- yeah, our meetup in Orlando was so fun that we can't not do another one. And if you see Micah, do me a favor, because I do this when I see him, jump on his back for me. Don't even warn him. Just run up and jump on his back. Since okay. I won't be there, he's going to miss me doing it. You so I need somebody that? else to do it. What are you? What am I, Hodor? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Andrew's probably done that before, though. It, no, all... I actually haven't. I no. just wanted to tease you. Yeah, but yeah, that, what so. happens if somebody does that right in front of security? And I don't know. It'd be funny. Well, yeah. Carry their ass over to jail. <laughs> to Azkaban. LeakyCon Azkaban. Azkaban, yeah. 
Eric, you also wanted to provide a clarification about Hagrid, the ride? Yeah, so we were just in Orlando a couple weeks ago. We did that episode uh, from Podcast Movement. Uh, The day you guys left to come back from Orlando, I actually went back to Universal Park, and I needed to get to the bottom of how it was that Mike and I walked right by the pre-show video on Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, the one with Mark Williams and Robbie Coltrane in the video. So... I interviewed a couple more Universal staffers, and I've concocted this statement, which should help you make sure that you're going to see the pre-show video. So if you're in the single rider line, you're not going to see the video. That's just one. The single rider line starts about 60 feet from the room where the video plays, but it bypasses the video room. And if you're in the regular line as well, certain times, like we mentioned on the episode, they actually turn off the video entirely. So there's no real great way to make sure you're going to see this pre-ride video. It's fun. It's four minutes of essential context, in my opinion. But depending on the, because it's the first room, depending on the state that the video is is in and them wanting to keep the line moving, it's possible you'll miss the video. So thankfully, the internet has solved this problem. And if you're waiting in line, these wait times in excess of two hours, check YouTube behind the thrills posted the uh, pre-show video for Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure in its entirety. And just, uh, you know, if you miss it, like like Mike and I just walked right by it, um, it's, it's, it's somehow easy to miss. And um, definitely when you're waiting in line, what better to do than to watch the video if you missed it? On YouTube instead of on YouTube, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like right in the regular line, it's the first room, but... They aren't, but that's they aren't what happens it. at theme parks if you're on the single rider line, especially. You, you miss some of the good stuff. So yeah. we'll put a link to that video in the show notes of today's episode. Mm-hmm. Also wanted to clarify a comment we made about Harry's schooling situation in his early years from last week's episode. Harry was supposed to go to Stonewall High, not St. Brutus. I think we got the schools mixed up. Thank you to Eagles and Reds and Asim for mm. clarifying that for us. Yeah. Bye. No, that was my bad. I I apologize. I think deeply. it was my fault actually, because I I think I said something initially, <laughs> and Laura, rightly so, tried to correct me, which I think you I know, don't. No, I don't think so. no. I look at these two competing to every, take the fall. Every, yeah, everybody's just like fighting. It was my fault. I left it in the episode. I'm sorry. That was me. <laughs> Andrew's like, it's my fault. I let it happen. Oh, I'm not taking credit. No, you two, you two can take the blame. I screw up enough. <laughs> I think I said smeltings initially, and then Laura was like, "Yeah, by the way, I think that's where Dudley actually goes, not Harry." And I, I think it was Grunnings, you guys. I think that's where Vernon works. That's where Vernon works. I know it is. it is. It is. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> you know what? I was 50% right. And honestly, 50% of life is just showing up. So <laughs> there <laughs> there you go. congratulations, Laura. You showed up. <laughs> Harry goes to Hogwarts, right? Is that? Can we, can we leave? I think so. So on this week's episode, we are going to talk about the gap between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix being published as we get ready to do chapter by chapter for the fifth book in the Harry Potter series. It was an interesting time between 2000 and 2003. Goblet of Fire was published summer 2000 and Order of the Phoenix was published summer 2003. And the anticipation 
for Order of the Phoenix was unlike anything we had seen for a previous Harry Potter book. And this was for two reasons, and this is what we want to talk about today. Reason one was the wait between the two books. Mm -hmm. This was the longest wait between books. Books one, two, and three, there was only a one-year wait between those three. Um, Order of the Phoenix to Half-Blood Prince was only two years. Half-Blood Prince to Deathly Hallows was also two years. And in that time, the fandom just grew and grew in anticipation of the next book. But one of the things we wanted to address was why it was a three-year wait. Right. What did you find, Eric? Because we, we went back in the archives to find comments from J.K. Rowling and look up some information about this. Yeah, I remember J.K. Rowling at one point admitting that turning out a new Harry Potter book every year, as she did with the first four, really kind of wore her out. Definitely by book four, which is twice as long as all the books before it, she still turned it out, turned around in the same amount of time. And so I remember her saying she had been burned out, but I uh, wanted to find the exact quote. So I went to Accio quote, which is like anybody's best friend. It should be everybody should be Harry Potter fans everywhere should be bookmarking this site. It is beautiful. They've categorized pretty much everything J.K. Rowling has ever said in an interview. Um, and so I found a quote, and this is in an Edinburgh Cub Reporter press conference from July 2005. So a guy named Joseph Rollins asks, which book was hardest to write for you? J.K. Rowling says, Goblet of Fire. Joseph asks, is that true? And J.K. Rowling says, Goblet of Fire was difficult because by that time I was exhausted. I had been writing as well as being a single mother, as well as trying to hold down a succession of day jobs. I was very tired. Goblet was a bit of a struggle. By the end of that book, I really knew that I had to take some time off and relax a bit. So, And the other thing that was killing her that wasn't addressed in this quote was that she was working under a deadline. Yeah. For some reason, they had set her on a deadline. And after this book, she said, no more deadlines. Right. <laughs> I'm doing what I want. I will finish this at my own pace without being rushed. As she should. And what one question I did have, though, and, and maybe this comes up a little bit later on, was were the movies also impacting her speed of writing and the deadlines and all? Because they started, and these kids, they're going to get older, right? So you have to fit it within a certain window. So I wonder how much that was having an impact on her as well. Yeah. I mean, right when Goblet of Fire, the book, came out, there's this interview on Newsround where they're asking her the update of the film. So yeah, pre-production of the film, really arranging the the film to get together, uh, was all happening within that same window of when she was had written or was editing Goblet of Fire. It's kind of nuts if you think about it. Like she really, a single mom was doing so much for the entire world's benefit in just a short period of time. Yeah. Stephanie, imagine not only being a parent, but putting together a book and a movie. <laughs> I cannot. I can't even parent by myself. Like <laughs> my husband comes home, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> so I can't even imagine doing all that she does. <laughs> yeah. And Eric, you had a quote here from July 2000 because a publication news round had checked in with her about the film. And she said, they said, how's the first film going? And she said, it's ongoing. Still haven't got Harry, which is a bit of a worry, but it's going really well. I've seen some things and they look incredible. 
It's the most amazing experience. And she also seemed like she was really excited to see Quidditch and Hagrid's hut in the physical world. Does, does, I wanted to ask guys, so I know we're uh, sort of preluding our Order of the Phoenix discussion, but does Goblet of Fire feel rushed to you guys? Do you think that there are traces in the book uh, of, like, can you tell that J.K. Rowling was rushed? Or do you think it was pretty much glossed over in the editing process? I mean, I think the well, Goblet of Fire is my favorite book, like absolute favorite. Okay. But I know that there's like an actual like error in the book where like, is it like Harry like leaves his invisibility cloak on the stairs? Oh, right. You know, and then they, and then like afterwards, it's like, well, how did it actually get back to him? So I mean, like, I think in that kind of sense, like, you well, know, sh- there might have been a couple errors. That but- was to set the ground for groundwork for Cursed Child, in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually, I think it was the Marauder's Map. I think oh, Moody yeah. slash Crouch has the Marauder's Map. Uh, and Harry just pulls it out of his trunk in, in, in like chapter one of book five. J.K. Rowling has admitted that Goblet of Fire was the work she is least proud of. Mm-hmm. Which that that's just unfair, I think, to herself. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. Yeah. I don't think it's noticeable in the book, though. No. Uh, Goblet of Fire is also my favorite book. And it it's because I have this like working theory that we've talked about a lot on the show that Harry Potter is a frame narrative. And Goblet of Fire is sort of the centerpiece of that. And it connects everything. And I think in that regard, the book is incredibly successful. So I think that she's maybe being a little hard on herself because I can definitely understand that maybe it wasn't a joy for her to write. So perhaps her memories of it are kind of like tinting how she interprets it. But the final product I thought was one of the best books of the series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the level of world building that she's doing, even just the Quidditch world cup, every, all the detail there that's, that's jam packed. And this book still has a plot that is completely action-packed, and she um, oversees and orchestrates the return of Lord Voldemort into physical form. I mean, it's all these things. It kind of feels like a mini conclusion in and of itself. If the books were strictly about Voldemort coming back to power, Goblet of Fire would be the last book. It would be like, you know, success. Right. One wonders how different the book would be if she did have more time. And what's also fascinating is that Order of the Phoenix actually ended up being longer, and she wrote it in less time. (laughs) Is it because it was such a crucial book, to Laura's point, that it it just took her a a long amount of time to to get right, plus juggling the movies? Because I don't think after this first movie, she was as involved with the films. So maybe that was another factor, too. She needed to be involved to get things started up. And then after that, she was like, just follow the books and keep this cast. (laughs) Well, I I think if you look at the first two films, they were very much carbon copies of the books, right? And you had a director in Chris Columbus who is known for these types of movies. But then once you shift to Prisoner of Azkaban, you want to talk about J.K. Rowling how much level of involvement she had, Alfonso Cuaron took the movies in a completely different direction, whether you loved it or hated it. That's where I think things really started to change. And, and one thing I'm surprised about is given the level of consistency in the films themselves, when you talk about producers, when you talk about cast, when you talk about crew, the fact that the director 
didn't stay the same over time, I always thought was really surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the the in the franchise really wanted some fresh blood. Uh, when Chris Columbus, I think, retired from Harry Potter to spend more time with his family. He was missing, even though they were on screen, even though he put <laughs> his kids in the movies, he wasn't spending enough time with them. So he 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 stepped down from movie three. I don't know that a lot of um, producers or anything could could do anything about that. So it became at least briefly about finding a, a you know a visionary director in Alfonso Cuaron, finding you know, and that was just a one off, and then finding an, an actual the first British director in Mike Newell for Gobble of Fire. And then once they got to David Yates, I think, you know, the pieces fit and it's been David Yates ever since. Yeah. But And David I, yeah, Yates was like, I don't need to see my family. I don't want to see my family. This is perfect. <laughs> but I, and I think consistent, there is something to be said for consistency, but I, 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 I think it was a necessary shift to get a second, mm. I don't know, insight or opinion into what the movies could be, which yeah. is what Alfonso yeah. provided. So I, I've always yeah. found mm-hmm. it just just interesting because if you look at the cast from start to finish, with with the exception of of the passing of Richard Harris, it stayed the same, right? It, from 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 what I can remember, anyway. Producers remain the same. You know, screenwriters. I think Steve Clovis only missed Order of the Phoenix, and director was really the only position that had a lot of turnover. So you would think, though, that the person who kind of latched onto the series would want to stay with it for the duration, just knowing the success that it was going to be. Not everybody wants to be famous and overworked, I guess. But you tell me, I mean, Eric, you're, you you know a lot more about the space. Like, I mean, composers, they changed once John Williams set the groundwork. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they did too, but I think that might've had to do more with John Williams's own schedule. Um, you know, maybe you, you don't really need a heavy hander uh, for all seven entries, you know, once you get some themes down and stuff, I kind of like, I don't know who you guys' favorite composers are. This is kind of getting pretty off topic, but um you know, just artistically different. I'll, I'll credit, you know, movie three listeners of the show know it's not my favorite movie, but I think it really, especially with the wardrobe department, did a lot of things that I think were were really cool with the, the new house robes and, um, you know, changing the landscape of Hogwarts and really just a different eye. So as the films were growing, I think J.K. Rowling probably was able to get back to the books. But during this period, you know, 2000 to 2003, she was really seeing them well into uh, existence in addition to what she was doing with the books, in addition to what she was doing as a single mom. So it's really just super, I mean, these, these were, these were JK Rowling's um, wonder years. Trying to think of a song to sing here, but I can't think of something in the moment. Have a little help from my friends. (laughs) The theme song to wonder, wonder years, probably. (laughs) There you go. So the other big reason that these years were unlike anything we had seen so far was because of the fandom and the internet. The internet was coming up at this time. Fan sites were coming online during this time. It it was so it was crucial to the fandom. We were all going online. We were going to Ask Jeeves and Yahooligans and MSN and what are some other classic search engines besides Google? <laughs> uh, Alta Vista? Yes. Yeah. Wow. 
and we were typing in Harry Potter. <laughs> I was just thinking the other day of like Netscape. Remember Netscape? Oh, Netscape. Uh-huh. <laughs> AOL. I was an AOL guy. The school computers all had Netscape, and if I had been doing any searching, I would have used that for my Harry Potter fix. We were taught to use Ask Jeeves Kids and Yahooligans, which was the kids version of Yahoo. <laughs> that sounds even worse, though, than using Yahoo. Yahooligans? Yeah. yeah. Yahooligans. Sounds like you're up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what kids are up to. No good. Does that have a funny jingle like Yahoo? But yeah. Yahooligans. <laughs> so, and Eric, I know something else that you think was going on at this time was people writing fan fiction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, I know that we know people who were on message boards, Harry Potter for grownups, um, and the original, um, well, Fiction Alley was founded during this time. There was a lot going on in, uh, really just across the internet from the adult, uh, listen, the adult readership that were taking in these books at the same time, uh, that we as young teenagers were taking in the books. And they were responding to the art the same way that anyone responds to the art, but, but they were, um, writing fan fiction. They were forming meetup groups. A lot. Heidi Tandy often talks about this a lot. Um, just really the, the beginning of any, fandom is in the the creative minds of the people reading it reacting it to it and i think there was a crucial element in in those groups those groups uh that heidi was a part of founded the first harry potter fan trips and they founded uh the first harry potter conventions hpef was born uh out of that community of adults that were reading the harry potter books when we all were uh in the years 2000 to 2003 and in fact, the first conference ever for Harry Potter was Nimbus uh, in Orlando. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of history, a little secret history, but it been in the back there uh, of Harry. And Potter then films. people were using fan sites and message boards to talk about Harry Potter with other people because there was really no place to do it in the real world. I wasn't talking to people yeah. about Harry Potter in the real world. You weren't Captain talking to people. Secret. In the real world at all. That's, right? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, legit. <laughs> Thanks. I was one of these people too. Yeah. Um, so summer 2000 was when we moved to Georgia. And because I'm between school years here, there aren't tons of opportunities for me to meet other kids my age. So I was really excited. I think my parents were really excited uh, for book four to come out because they also heard it was like 700 pages. Um and I like went and got book four the day it came out. I remember my mom being like, oh, 700 pages. This will keep you busy for a while. Three days later. <laughs> you would. It's done. <laughs> and I, I turned to the internet. So I was reading fan fiction. I was writing fan fiction. I was finding fan sites, taking sorting quizzes, like getting on AOL Instant Messenger and going to Harry Potter chat rooms and crap like that. So it was definitely a great outlet for me being a kid who didn't have too many friends in my new uh, neighborhood, um, but also just being somebody who wanted to talk more about this amazing series that ultimately was going to change my life, you know? Yeah. I, I've always been so impressed at how the internet has brought people together particularly as it pertains to the Potter community. It just all of us sitting here right now talking to each other. 
we all met because of Potter, we wouldn't probably know each other otherwise. And I think that's something that's so special and unique about this particular franchise. And I remember kind of similar to Laura happening upon MuggleNet and I just immersed myself because I didn't start really until the release of book six, but I remember going on to the editorial section of MuggleNet. So many amazing theories that people were writing about and the cool part of it was that not only could you talk with other fans about it, but you could reach out directly to the person who wrote the editorial and get thoughts from them. And I just remember in particular Brandon Ford, the underground lake, there was just, there, there was a ton of, of editorials, but that one always stood out to me. I always was kind of looking forward to what he was going to be writing about theories on, on at that time it was Deathly Hallows. So I, I credit MuggleNet for for a lot, and obviously for knowing all of you. I'm glad you brought that up. Like the internet at that time, I want to say, especially if you were a young Harry Potter fan, um, and I was in 2002. Um, but but the internet was all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff, right? Like that was when you could still go into chat rooms and they weren't entirely awful. Yeah, because and... social media didn't exist. You didn't have <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was I, really just—it's yeah. true. There were there were still creeps to be yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. It wasn't as big of a hellfire hellscape <laughs> as it is. Today. It was really just all the good stuff, though. Like you said, reaching out to your author. Like I found that book, the ultimate unofficial guide to the mysteries of Harry Potter. Actually, Emerson sent a copy to me and Jamie, and I read that book, and I thought, oh my god, there's something going on with. Mrs. Fig, I got to email the authors and I emailed the authors and they wrote back and that they were, they were mentors to me for years after that. And that they're responsible for me going to the book five release party in Oak Park, Illinois. They're Hmm. in part the reason that I live in Illinois now. And, Hmm. you know, it really just, uh, my life changed because of the internet, because of Harry Potter being on the internet. And, you know, you can't put a price on that. I think it's just, it's been a a blessed, uh, life. Yeah. And I think also, at least for me, I mean, I met my best friend because of Harry Potter. And like Mike and Eric have been saying, by extension, all of you. And I think for me, the combination of Harry Potter and the internet destigmatized the idea of having long distance friendships. (laughs) Yeah, it did. You know, because I remember like being younger when I was first getting involved with the fan sites and everything. If I would like kind of venture outside my comfort zone a little bit and tell people about my secret life as a podcaster or whatever else I was doing, they kind of looked at me weird. And uh, people just didn't really understand it at that point. Now it's totally normal. But I don't know. It it kind of feels like Harry Potter set Harry Potter and the internet, that combination set the precedent for being able to connect with people everywhere. Yeah. Definitely. It was really a perfect storm for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine if the if Harry Potter came before the internet. Oh God. We wouldn't have known each other. The fandom would have looked very different. But we uh asked our patrons, what's your earliest fan site memory? Your earliest Harry Potter online memory? Erica said, while not exactly a fan site, I remember lying about my age on Neopets <laughs> so that I could join a guild. <laughs> That oh, was I dedicated that. to Harry Potter. 
We were sorted into houses, could take classes to earn house points and chat on the message board with each other. From there, I learned about MuggleNet. I remember I found it about 2005. I was super excited to find it, but I can't tell my mom the truth about where I found it because I didn't want her to know I was chatting to strangers online. Man, you know what they say, Neopets is a real gateway site. You're gonna, it is, from, it totally From is. there you go to, <laughs> there you go to Stephanie, MuggleNet. Stephanie and Laura, you did this too? You used yeah. Neopets? <laughs> oh yeah how did that work i have a vague memory of this what is a guild on neopets oh, I, I can't but remember honest, i don't really <laughs> yeah. remember i just yeah. remember i used it okay okay um i was also really because i was really into the fan fiction at this point i was super involved on harry potter fanfiction.net i don't know if that still exists or not but i wrote like a long marauders fan fiction Mm-hmm. during this time period uh, to kind of help fill in the gaps for myself. Mm. And I ended up like meeting random people from all over the world and we would like edit each other's work or like I met artists who were willing to create cover art for my fan fiction. And um, I remember like for a brief period of time, there was somebody from Mexico that I really got close with, like close over AIM, you know, um, whatever that means. And we would just like critique each other's work. And I remember like offhand mentioning one day to one of my parents' friends, I was like, oh yeah, like I have a a friend in Mexico that like we do editing with each other over AIM. And she was like kind of concerned. She was like, be careful. (laughs) Like he was going to come kill me or something. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 It was a good time. Yeah. My parents were worried about my internet present, my internet activity as well just all these strangers yeah i don't blame them yeah i mean, I mean the, it, it the internet's strange. brand new and it's you know yeah you, the parents don't know about what's really happening and they just know that their children's like talking to people and they don't understand i guess like you know how like you know it's not very dangerous but to them like you know the internet's brand new and they want to keep their child like protected and safe so yeah, of course. And it can yeah. be dangerous. Yeah, and there's no there's no precedent for it at this time, right? Like Yeah. In, in that regard, we're kind of a new species. So our parents are thinking back to when they were kids and like what possible mm-hmm. threats there were, and it's a much more limited pool than when you introduce the internet into yeah. the equation, so I totally get it. Um it's just funny how much it's changed because now kids have smartphones and mm-hmm post all over social so yeah definitely laura can you read the next one um this is from rebecca rebecca says i used to love MuggleNet interactive with all its forums fan fiction and role playing i was on a quidditch team which involved answering high speed trivia questions and team chats on msn at weird hours of the day due to different msn (laughs) we used to have that's amazing we used to have an irc chat do you guys remember that the MuggleNet IRC yeah. was nuts. Yeah. Very low tech. MuggleNet Interactive was very cool from what I remember. Yeah. We had some cool people. Do y'all remember JK Rowling at one point talked about how she went into one of the MuggleNet chat rooms? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was like posing theories <laughs> yeah. and people were shooting her down. <laughs> You're like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think we would all, she never shared. That's why she never wants to come on the show. <laughs> she would just get shot down. We, she never revealed what 
theories she shared in the MuggleNet chat room, but I would love <sighs> to know. You can only imagine. And didn't she say she was talking to somebody named Squidward something or other? <laughs> like somebody named Squidward <laughs> said her theories were terrible or something there like were, that. Yeah, there I, bet, were a I bet that person feels like an idiot. To oh, yeah. Say. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Micah, you want to take the next one? Sure. Next one comes from Gabriella, who said it was mid-2004, and I had to do a presentation for my German class, so I decided to do it about something I liked and chose J.K. Rowling. I went to an internet cafe and Googled her. Among the first results, besides her old website, I found MuggleNet. When I got my first computer the following year, I went back and discovered MuggleCast, which was just starting. I've never stopped listening ever since. Aww. Aww. I do think Google and Yahooligans and Ask Jeeves and Alta Vista and all these others was the way you would discover fan sites because we didn't have social media, as was mentioned a few minutes ago. So how else do you find them? I guess word of mouth, maybe. But I still remember typing in Harry Potter fan site on Google to try and find the competition to HarryPottersHouse.com. <laughs> and Eric? Last one. So this uh, this feedback comes from Megan. She says, MuggleNet was the first fan site I heard about in the fall of 2002. I was in seventh grade, and my friend told me about it. I almost exclusively used MuggleNet, but I did find out about the Leaky Cauldron around the same time and occasionally visited that site. I loved visiting fan sites mainly for news and updates about Harry Potter in general, both movies and books, but I also visited the message boards for fan theories and discussions. This really touches on, I mean, for me, this gap between 2000 and 2003 was everybody wanted to talk about the books they had just read. You know, it was the perfect uh, break room for the fandom to really and, – and with more people reading every month – you know, more people were flocking to this new media, the internet, to discuss it. And so, I mean, we've used this term before, but really this gap, uh, the fandom grew exponentially within that gap and sprouted out in all these different ways that we've all been talking about. Um, it, it really was essential, I would say, to new authors or to new content creators, you know, take a few years off if you get to the middle of, of an entire series and see what happens. Yeah. Um, James Cameron took my advice, but he's taken too long. <laughs> uh, too, too long. long for Avatar. Um, and something else that you had noted, Eric, is that people were also rereading the books during yes. this gap. And two of our patrons who are listening live at patreon.com slash mugglecast right now, Victor and Roxanne, they said the same thing. Roxanne said, three-year gap plus shorter books equals so many rereads. I still have details from the first four memorized more than the last three because of this mm -hmm. i don't remember rereading as much personally but yeah it's like you're just craving more and if you don't have more what else do you do you reread you go online you google you find these fan sites mm -hmm. and of course you speculate about what is coming next and that brings us to part two of this discussion people were speculating as we still do on mugglecast <laughs> like crazy, about what would happen in the next book. What were some of the most pressing mysteries going into book five? I think that with Cedric Diggory's death at the end of Goblet of Fire, J.K. Rowling started, the, well, the beginnings of an avalanche, right? Because from then on, nobody was safe. 
And I, I just remember prior to book five, there being a huge discussion over who will die in book five. And that was, was one of the hotly, most hotly contested um, theories or, or questions about who would be next. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, you, you think nobody was safe after that? Like, no, no offense to Cedric Diggory, but he was a random Hufflepuff. And oh, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I'm saying in the larger late. context of the story, it's not like they offed Hagrid at the end of Goblet of Fire. Well, Hagrid was a favorite uh, to die in book five, from what I recall in the discussions. But mm. no, if, if she can kill a student, if she can kill a Hogwarts student who has just happened to be there and, and, and school champion, by the way, Micah. Um, but uh, right in front I'm of not diminishing father. them because they're a Hufflepuff. But I know that's probably what I you're think thinking, you're but doing. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Even not at all. No, not at all. No, no, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. If you kill a 17 uh, year old boy, like an underage kid, uh, then, okay, then yeah. it just means he's a side character, yeah. though. He's not like a main character. So I would agree with well, Micah. Like, I don't think like everybody's up for grabs in book five. Well, I'll I'll defend Eric by saying Voldemort is also back now. So. You would think that the death count would ramp up in book five. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I will say, um, Goblet of Fire is the first book in the series that set this sets this precedent of there being character deaths. And after book four, a big question for each subsequent book was who's going to die in this book. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So it, it became an expectation that there was going to be a death <laughs> at the end of every book. And, you know, there was, um, you know, sometimes multiples. And speaking of deaths, Eric, priori incantatum. This was not. So if you really think about it prior to book five, we didn't know about the prophecy. We didn't know about Snape overhearing the prophecy, really anything about the Horcruxes. There was so much left to be learned about how Voldemort came to be and what it all meant that the only glimmer that we really had seemed to be this priori incantatum, this connection between Harry and Voldemort through their wands. And I remember originally there was a misprint when Goblet of Fire came out and the the death order of James and Lily was changed. Because when um, when Priori and Cantatum, when the when the spell backfires and Harry's and Voldemort's wands connect and he sees his parents or like shadows, it's a, a reverse order. Like Frank Bryce comes out first, and it's the reverse order of all the people Voldemort killed with that wand. But because there was a an error, and I think James came out first when in fact it should have been Lily because she was killed after James, uh, that set the internet on fire. Uh, and so there were all these theories and speculations about, did James really die when, when he said he did? And, or, you know, when we thought he did and, and, and what's JK Rowling hiding? And, you know, we were really kind of grasping at, at, at anything we could find, but the most mysterious thing that had happened prior to the prophecy was this weird spell situation when Harry and Voldemort dueled at the end of book four. So it was pretty much our big, uh, moment, I think that that really brought a lot of questions uh, into the fold, into the light. Mm-hmm. And I just want to complain about a movieism here. It bothers me so much that they use the same visuals that they use for Priori and Cantatum in Goblet of Fire for every time there's some kind of wizarding duel in the rest of the Potter movies. Yep. 
so annoying. I'm like, it's not the same like thing. Like the spells are trying to run into each other. They're like competing. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's a cool visual. I guess it doesn't need to look the same every time, but. I mean, it's cool, but when you yeah. use it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. loses the significance of what priori and cantatum is supposed to be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't think anyone alive in that circle had ever seen anything like that before. Um, and then it happened to Harry. This point will excite Laura, I think. There was the ring theory. And this gets to your frame narrative, I think, right? I think, Laura. Eric explained this. Yeah. So this quote um, was. I wanted to see if J.K. Rowling ever touched on this thing we keep going back to, which is ring composition, literary alchemy, planets and things, and and, and all of this. So J.K. Rowling was asked, how vital is book four in the whole seven-book series to Harry? And J.K.R. says, crucial. The fourth is a very, very important book. Well, you know, because you read it, something incredibly important happens in book four. And also, it's literally a central book. It's almost the heart of the series, and it's pivotal. It's very difficult to talk about, and I can't wait for the day someone's read all seven, and I can talk completely freely about it, but it's a very, very important book. All right, Joe. Come on, MuggleCast. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. It used to drive me nuts when she used to say what she just said towards the end of that quote. I can't wait for the day. Yeah, well, like I'll be so willing to talk about it. When I can be later. free to talk about all of this, but now I she's, don't really talk about anything. <laughs> she's well, definitely pulling a Dumbledore. You know, at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, when Dumbledore tells Harry, ah, alas, the first thing you ask me, I can't answer. I'll tell you when you're ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think we ruined JK Rowling on Twitter, everybody. I think that that is just something we have to come to terms with. Yeah. She used to be there. To, to answer these kinds of questions. Yeah, on your yeah. website, there was a lot there. On Pottermore, there was a lot there. But Yeah, oh man, I miss the days of her website. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah, that was the best. And then, so in doing research for this episode, I wanted to find what people were talking about before Order of the Phoenix came out. But of course, it was hard because it was 18, 17 years ago. I mean, it's it's hard to find stuff like that that's still online and you can't go and Google biggest theories before the book comes out because we just weren't doing listicles yet. Um, but what I did is I used the Wayback machine to bring up MuggleNet and I went to their book five facts page. And this version of it is from October, 2002. So it was a good eight, nine months before order of the Phoenix was set to come out. And I thought we could go through some of these quote unquote facts about book five, (laughs) what we believed to be true before the book came out. Can I just say this is an amazing page. It is a perfect time capsule that you've discovered. Yeah. And there's an awesome banner ad at the top Mm -hmm. advertising CallWave, the internet answering machine. (laughs) That thing, for anyone who doesn't know, if you were online, you were using your phone connection. But with CallWave, you could get your phone calls. While online, it was revolutionary. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So you picked up the phone. Did it sound like? I can't remember, but we had call wave. We loved it. <laughs> I like how there's this poll on the side. Will Harry and Draco ever become friends? <laughs> yes. Yes. For a brief period. Heck no. Not sure. Sea <laughs> Cursed Child should be an option five. <laughs> oh, man. So let's go through a few of these facts about book five. 
In book five, we go into a whole new area physically, an area you've never seen before, a magical world. Department of Mysteries. Department of Mysteries. Ah, yes, you're right, of course. Um, book five will be scary. Harry finds out a lot of things he hasn't stumbled across so far. <laughs> Accurate. Well, that's vague. <laughs> yeah. Here's the Cedric one. In book five, Harry has to examine exactly what death means in even closer ways. So the death well, thing is not going away. And also the Thestrals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the Thestrals and the prophecy. Neither can live while the other survives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We will see Mr. Weasley's car. Woohoo! Aragog, Dobby, and the Dementors again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this one cracks me up. Book five will be shorter than the fourth. The fourth book will be the longest one. Okay. <laughs> are these are these just theories or are these? Well, these these are these were confirmed. These were by J.K. Rowling or an official source. I think they but, were comments from J.K. Rowling that were said in interviews. Got it. And at the time, J.K. Rowling wasn't planning for Order of the Phoenix to be the longest, but then she pulled a J.K. Rowling and it became the longest. We don't see the Fort Anglia again, though, do we? We don't see Aragog in the fifth one, right? There is a mention of the Fort Anglia. I think there may at least be a mention of Aragog. So maybe yeah, that's one. I guess that. that got pushed off to book six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although I have a feeling it was at least mentioned because remember, um, book five is where we get the Grop. Yeah. Subplot and yeah. Grop is living in the forest. Yeah. So yeah. there's like a shout out at least. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to see it, I thought, again in Deathly Hallows, but we never did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you it's can... in Orlando. <laughs> this next one is interesting. The Dursleys are in the next book, and there's stuff coming with them that people might not expect. I believe that refers to Petunia. Mm. Probably. Remember my last? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Mm. We did expect to hear more from Arabella Fig. Oh, yeah. That's the other big one, too. In addition to Priori and Cantatum, the old crowd, getting the old crowd together. What does that mean? You know, what's going on? We kind of guessed at the Order of the Phoenix before we knew for sure that it was the what it is. Mm -hmm. Very cool. We will find out why Voldemort killed Lily and James Potter. The prophecy. Check. Something huge will be revealed about Lily Potter. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I'm not either. We might be missing something big there. Yeah. People listening live, let us know if we're missing something there. This one's funny. There will be a female defense against the dark arts teacher. <laughs> yes, there Represent. was. Yep. <laughs> but we had no idea just how horrible of a person it would be. <laughs> yeah. She's... Worst representation ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eric, you'll love this one. Ginny Weasley will play more of a role in book five. Yay. <laughs> Look I mean, forward she to names... It. Yeah, I forget about this often, but she names Dumbledore's army. She's the one mm -hmm. who suggests the title, so check. And finally, one of the main characters, one of Harry's fans, will die. Kind of surprising that J.K. Rowling would even go that far to say that. Yeah, one of but Harry's... But also, like, saying one of Harry's fans yeah. <laughs> is, is weird, right? Like Sirius was a fan. 
I mean, yeah, but he was also his godfather. I, th- I feel like that goes a little farther than just being a fan. Well, what do you want <laughs> yeah. her to do? Say his godfather's going to die? No, <laughs> she I, I think you could, like, she could have left it. It says one of the main characters will die. Yeah. Could have just yeah. left it with that. Because, like, when I read one of Harry's fans, I'm like, Colin Creevy? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know what? I found okay, so I'm on Angel Fire. My God! Um, oh Lord! <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised this still loads. Uh, and another website called OO Cities. Ooh, Cities! Oh my God! You guys got Geo Cities. No, yeah, but it's it's OOCities.com. Okay. Anyway, one of his fans will die. This might be Hagrid. Maybe that's why people thought Hagrid was gonna die. Mm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. All the, these other websites actually are just reposting the pretty much the same content from MuggleNet that was going on back then. Roxanne, who's listening live, says the big thing about Lily Potter could be since that book has Snape's worst memory. Maybe originally Rowling was planning on revealing in that book that they were friends. I think we do learn in the book that Lily came to Snape's defense. Oh. Yeah, but that's the extent so. That's probably of it. the big thing. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. Yeah, with that that worst memory. Thank you, Roxanne. So yeah, there was uh, a bunch of things going on. It's also really interesting browsing the Wayback Machine, MuggleNet on the Wayback <laughs> Machine, just seeing the news at the time. It's just like these little random items. Emerson was writing everything at the time, it seemed like. <laughs> I mean, these headers, though, the images, yeah. Harry with the torch, Harry with Harry in the woods, you know, mm-hmm. takes me way back. Well, also the tagline, MuggleNet, simply the best. <laughs> Like, it's very, is that really what it says? Line. Yeah. That is yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ego much? <laughs> One other thing I wanted to bring up, too, heading into the release of Order of the Phoenix, and I didn't get this uh, opportunity, like I said, because I didn't come along to the books really until Half-Blood Prince, but uh, what were your thoughts on the cover art? for order of the phoenix was there a lot of discussion around that i'm sure there was yeah i feel like i remember there being a lot of discussion and analysis about the number of candles yes that were in the cover heart <laughs> yes <laughs> and i don't i don't remember what we thought they meant but it was a big deal you're so right and why everything was blue that was a big question too yeah this was the first book where it was a single color scheme how many candles? I'm counting. One, two. Well, in the f- in in the foreground, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Well, if you divide fifteen by five, fifth book, you get three. Three frame narrative. And book five corresponds to book three. Oh my gosh! Sirius <laughs> enters in three, dies in five. We're gonna be talking yep. about that soon, aren't we, Laura? Yep. Yes, we will. So the, wait, so be... it's the books on either side of four? It's five and three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that'll be next week's episode of MogoCast. So midnight release parties, where were we? Eric, you said this was your first midnight release party, right? Yeah, it was. And it was I was in Oak Park, Illinois. They changed they changed all their downtown Oak Park Avenue shops into stores from for Diagon Alley. And I was there representing MuggleNet. Papa Sparts was there. Dylan was there. Emerson's whole family was there, actually, but not Emerson. Uh, Emerson <laughs> was it. Emerson. So I met I met all of Emerson's family before meeting him. Uh, but we were all there for MuggleNet and Wizarding World Press's 
special book book release celebration with the Magic Tree Bookstore and all of that. Um, Emerson was actually in London with Jamie at the time uh, at Waterstones. That would they they handed out stickers in line and stuff there. Um, but uh, but it was I'll never forget the night. There's video. There's photos. There, we did a uh, wizard's chess in the middle of the street with sidewalk chalk. Tons of people came out. So many people came out. I think it was ten thousand. The local, like the police, cordoned off the streets and wouldn't let anybody else in. Um, it was it was a massive party and proof about what we've been saying that the fandom had just grown so much, you know. And I think the to their credit, the Oak Park Chamber of Businesses um really put the word out and so parents and 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 parents with children from all the surrounding chicagoland areas naperville downers grove schomburg all really brought their kids to that one party for the night so it was probably the place to be in chicago for book five patrons who are listening live right now please share your midnight release stories in the chat we will read them once we go through ours i so this was my second midnight release party, and I just went to the Barnes & Noble down the street with my sister and neighbor, and I still remember some of the cool kids were there. And it's like, ooh, the cool kids are into Harry Potter now, too. Interesting. Very interesting. It didn't make me a cool kid, unfortunately. Oh, I, I was going to say that makes you cool by association. I, right? Yeah. Uh, I wish at the time. But yeah. yeah. It was it, Barnes & Noble, Borders nationwide those were the stores to be at and all the other book chains that were around at that time books mm. a million and whatever else Walden was out books. there yeah. borders yeah they had, they had, they had so many walden activities. books right walden yeah that was a good one for me it was just i don't, I don't have a story <laughs> sorry you you, <laughs> I, you weren't a fan yet right no yeah. i was not i mean i i be that night yeah when, when was this book released again june 20th 2003 i think 21st yeah. so the night of the well yeah the 20th into the 21st yeah mm-hmm. it was summertime i was probably working <laughs> a cool story <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry, <laughs> um book five was also my first midnight release party because for book four um my mom had actually arranged to take us to a release party at an independent children's bookstore to support them over like the big chains mm-hmm. and they weren't doing a midnight release party. They were just doing a daytime release party. But then we got there and they were like closed and nothing was happening. And my mom was kind of like, well, what the F is this? And like took us to Barnes and Noble and got us the books. Um, so book five was my first midnight release party. And I have to give my mom some props here because book five actually came out the day before we were going on vacation. So she took us to the midnight release party, got us the books. We went home and read all night. And then she assisted with all the driving and stuff the next day to get us where we were going. (laughs) Um, So, you know, props to her, props to Mama T for indulging our reading obsessions. Also kind Um, of a, kind of a failed social lesson in there too, the support local bookstores kind of thing. Yeah, (laughs) Right. I know she was so mad. She was like, I'm trying to do the right thing here. And you guys advertise this big party. And then I get there and your store's closed. Oh man. How about you, Stephanie? So, yeah. Um, I did not get to go to a midnight release party because I wasn't, I was a fan of the books, but I didn't know about 
release parties at all. So I think for me, like I was not around for it, but I remember at least when it came out, cause I was walking in target and I saw the book five on an end cap and I was like, Oh, it's out. And I bought it. And that was about it. Did you make it to any of the book release parties later? Yes. Um, well <laughs> book six, I had to have my mom take me cause I think I was like 15 and, um, sh- she took me just to like my local like stop and shop. Cause I was like, Oh, they're going to have them everywhere. So she took me to stop and shop, which is just a grocery store. And, uh, we just, they just had the book for sale there. They weren't doing like, there was no party or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but Deathly Hallows, I went into Boston and, um, went in the Harvard square. They did a huge, huge Harry and the Potters concert with Draco and the Malfoys, a bunch of other stuff. People like cosplayed, like it was like really, really cool. And then we got into line. I think we got our book at like 2am, um, but that was like the only like really midnight release party that I went to, mm-hmm. but it was massive, which was awesome. Nicole, who is in our chat room right now, she says, my parents wouldn't let me go to a midnight release party because nothing good happens after 10 p.m. <laughs> At least that's what my mom told middle school me. <laughs> that, that's accurate. Reading. Reading happens after 10 p.m., mom. At home, but outside the home, what good happens? Midnight release parties every two. I just feel like if your child wants to go to a midnight release party for a book, yeah, that is a that is a good thing. You should celebrate that absolutely. Yeah, better than going to one of those movies with those Hollywood movie stars, or going out to some friend's party in a basement. (laughs) What? Wow, Andrew, speaking from experience. (laughs) Roxanne says Order of the Phoenix was my first midnight release too I went to a Barnes and Noble and got my picture next to a cardboard Harry yeah they had those there I remember that too (laughs) I remember my brother was really excited because he actually got from the Barnes and Noble they gave him one of the boxes that the books were shipped in yeah the ones that were like do not open until July whatever and he like brought home this cardboard box and was really excited about it. <laughs> Laura, I have the Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, Hapwood Prince boxes. <laughs> I don't have okay. Deathly Hallows for some reason. I'm really bummed about that. Maybe I should buy one on eBay. <laughs> I do have a Cursed Child box, though. I tried to get a Cursed Child box at my Barnes & Nobles, and they were like, oh, no, we already threw them out. Oh. I'm like, come on, man. Recycled, I hoped. I hope. I hope so. Yeah. And we also got this email from Rebecca. She's in the UK. I thought it was a fun story. Reading the planning doc reminded me about one of the biggest regrets of my life, and I'm only half joking. I was eight when Order of the Phoenix was released, and I was a huge bookworm. All my classmates were really into Harry Potter, but the teachers thought it was a bit of a fad with kids carrying around huge copies of Goblet of Fire just because they looked impressive. So like the tiny hipster I was, I dismissed Potter as being too mainstream and stuck to reading everything else I could get my hands on. One evening, my parents casually asked if I liked Harry Potter, and I said, it's all right, not my favorite. Then came the heartbreaking revelation that if I had been really keen, they would have taken me to the midnight release party for Order of the Phoenix. But since I had been so nonchalant in my answer, they wouldn't take me as I would just use it as an excuse to stay up past my bedtime, no matter how much I protested afterwards that I really did like Harry Potter. It's nice that I'm a grown-up now and can read and stay up past midnight whenever I want, but I'll always be gutted that I missed out on that midnight release party. 
Thanks for everything you guys do. I love listening to to the show. And it was my parents who introduced me to MuggleCast when they bought me my first iPod Nano in 2008 with the podcast downloaded. Whoa. So I wow. can't resent them too oh. much. Cool parents. Yeah, your parents sound really cool. Um, your teachers, on the other hand, <laughs> sound like I'm, I'm, my jury's out on them. Like, you're, even if kids are carrying around big books and it's like a popularity thing, the fact that books are making kids cool is something that you should encourage educators. <laughs> That's a good like, point. What the heck is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's- it's better than the Pokemon fad that was going on at the time. Right. My school <laughs> banned Tamagotchis and Pokemon cards because everybody had them. Right. It would be interesting in today's classroom to go to a teacher and say, oh, would you trade off uh, your students carrying around a copy of Goblet of Fire for their, let's say, cell phone, which they're probably on throughout the course of your entire class? So right, mm-hmm. goes to show you. But this is really cool. iPod Nano. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool parents for sure. Thank you for loading MuggleCast onto that iPod. <laughs> I bet they screened it first and they were like, okay, no swearing. There's, no cursing. This is good. Family friendly show. We're kind of still family friendly. Every once in a while. <laughs> this episode should, has been. No cursing yeah. here. It's because of Stephanie. That's right. Thanks, she's guys. She's keeping us all in line. <laughs> the mom and me. Mm-hmm. So Order of the Phoenix went on to have an initial print run of 6.8 million in the United States. 5 million were sold in the first 24 hours. Those were record-breaking numbers, of course. Man. And yeah, so I think that's what we have to say about those years in between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. An exciting time for sure, as has been discussed today. And of course, the fandom just grew after Order of the Phoenix came out. All right, so next week we will be talking about Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix, that frame narrative that Laura has been mentioning. Laura, you're going to prep that discussion for us, or we're going to look at the threads between the two books, right? Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Laura's going to sit in her study, stay up past midnight, Yep. get some notes down. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't do that in your Frank Underwood <laughs> voice. Sit in Claire, my study. I'll be in my study. Comparing Prisoner of Azkaban to Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) And we'll also talk about the Wizards Unite Indianapolis fan event. So I'll be going. If you're there, please say hi. Y'all, I am am storing up some potions. So I'm ready to capture these dragons that they have in Indianapolis. I'm planning ahead. What level are you, Stephanie? (laughs) Are you playing? So I downloaded it. I think it came out right before. Um, I had my baby, so um, I downloaded I think I played it for five minutes, oh. and uh, I have not been able to play anymore. Hooray, I'm ahead of somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yay. I still get, like, the notifications where it's like, come join this and, and do all this stuff, and I'm just a little preoccupied. <laughs> Laura, I see you're level 10. Congratulations. Thank you. Um I I definitely fell off of it for a while, but then I came back and, you know, went into my vault and all of the other places that you have to go to collect your XP that's not just given to you. Um, and then it leveled me up a whole bunch. So Good job. See? Feels yeah. good to hit that collect button, doesn't it? 
No, it does not. Laura, it infuriates somebody at our me. meetup agreed with me. She was like, oh, yeah, you're so right. It feels so good to hit collect. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> Let's do it together right now. <sighs> yeah, but... In fairness to Laura, why not just create a little setting where it can be auto collect? You just hit hit it. Oh, and that's you guys, it. you don't. Yeah, you really just don't give get me it. What I've earned. Exactly. Well, Stop I trying. shouldn't have to go through an extra step to get something I have you earned. Right. Are so... Stop screwing Laura out of her money and her energy and her whatever else they give. It's a mind <laughs> game, y'all. You, you two are. I don't understand. I'm telling. You okay, wait. In two weeks. Let's see if they add this feature to Wizards Unite. <laughs> They're not. Because every other time we brought this up, something related to Wizards Unite, within like a week or two, it's ended up being added to the it's uh, true. Collecting app. gives you a hit of dopamine. It's There's science behind it. That's why okay. they're doing it. Okay. Yeah, well, you also have to differentiate so. active users with uh, with inactive users. Well, if People you're not a real wizard, edge. then I can see why you don't like this game, Eric. But us real Harry Potter fans, well, I was we defending you. I was saying that oh. that's the good thing. Oh, yeah. oh, I take that anyway. back. Then I'm sorry. Okay. No, I I think that they should implement what Micah discussed, and they can call it like the capitalist feature. Like, <laughs> if you if you don't want to have to do extra work <laughs> and just want to be given your rewards, turn on capitalism. It's. Mm-hmm. Two ninety nine will be deducted from your bank account every thirty days, and it will <laughs> auto correct, auto collect all the stuff you've quote earned to give you imaginary things. I'm I can't play right now because I'm in the suburbs and there's just nothing nearby. No inns, no fortresses, no nothing. I'm all alone out here. This little wizard. Anyway, time now for Quizich. We haven't done this in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been. I think three weeks since uh, we last asked our last Quizich question. But uh, thank you all for your patience. We did still get uh, throughout the weeks some uh, people answering. So uh, the question to remind everybody was submitted by Meg S., uh, who listens? And so the question was, which film actor who appeared in movie one has the same birthday as the character he portrays? This was a tough one. This was, in fact, uh, one of the toughest questions that we've ever asked. The correct answer is Adrian Rollins. So Adrian Rollins, who plays James Potter, was born on March 27th, the same day as James Potter's birthday, March 27th. Rollins was born in 1958 and James Potter in 1960. So that was super cool and super cool of uh, Meg S. to know that information. Um, so congrats there. And really just, uh, as far as the, the people, that was it. What? Meg S that's it. Yeah. Meg. Well, Meg S submitted the question. So, oh, she submitted the question. not the answer. <laughs> Oh no, no, no. So the winners, the winners are, well, she oh, submitted the winner. I, I thought Meg was the only one. I'm like, you got to do something better for her. <laughs> no. She's the only one who got it right. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Meg did submit the answer, but because she also submitted the question, I don't think it counts. Uh, but no. the correct answers were submitted by That's cheating. Ulysses uh, Batman at Classy U- Ulysses. <laughs> he says, took me 32 minutes to figure out the question. Issy Mark Antonio <laughs> said, maybe the toughest quizzes question yet. Uh, and other answers submitted by Rose Wilder, Samwise Potter, Count Ravioli, Tetrax Mender, Cat, Michael Not Eric, Asim, The Jessly Hallows, Jason King, Designed by Murr, and Sarah Davis. So, um, Thank, congrats to everybody who did get that right. 
Um, and in keeping with the theme, we are asking people to, I, I mean, I asked weeks ago for people to submit their quizzes question. One person did. Um, so <laughs> thank you to Karen for submitting this week's quizzage question. Uh, where did Harry get the name Hedwig to name his owl? This is a book one question. The answer can be found in book one. All right. Submit your Quizich answer using hashtag Quizich over to us on Twitter uh, using hashtag Quizich. If you want to get in touch with us, MuggleCast.com is where you can go. There's a contact form right there. You can also email MuggleCast at gmail.com. You can also call us 1-920-368-4453. That's 1-920-3-MUGGLE. Also, feel free to reach out to us on social media. We're trying to respond more everywhere. MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stephanie, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. I know you've been a... And Andrew. Huh? You, there is one additional social media platform we can add to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. So MuggleCast is now officially on LinkedIn. Ooh. <laughs> One of the big takeaways we got from the podcast movement conference down in Orlando is that LinkedIn is an untapped resource for podcasters. <laughs> so we're going to try it out, see how it works. If you're on LinkedIn, add us, just search for MuggleCast, we'll pop right up. The first hundred people to add us on LinkedIn will get their top skill endorsed by us. On <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> All right, Eric. They'll get a recommendation from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get a job at MuggleCast. We're trying it out. <laughs> You'll be our interns. Some people will probably roll their eyes to hear that MuggleCast is on that is now on LinkedIn, but we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And the link for those who are wondering, it's just LinkedIn.com, and they do a backslash company backslash MuggleCast podcast. So we'll just oh, put it in the <laughs> the show notes. Super easy. Nothing is simple on. Like somebody else has MuggleCast, very similar to uh, Instagram. We couldn't figure out who it Good was. Grief. So we would love your support on Patreon. Pledge today, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You'll receive instant access to installments of bonus MuggleCast, early access to our show via the weekly live streams, and MuggleCast throwbacks. We give behind the scenes looks. We're also adding a new feature called Focus Group. Yeah. So from time to time, the MuggleCasters will call on you for your opinion on what direction we go with the show you'll have the power to influence our most important decisions so that is at the Ooh. slug club level patreon.com slash mugglecast pledge today thank you in advance and and oh and uh speaking of patreon we are the first round of tote bags is going out this week just as an update to that, it's uh, this year's physical gift. And the next round as well has been uh, ordered. So within within a month or so, uh, everyone's tote bags should be going out. Fantastic. We The reason there was a slight de delay was because we were just waiting for more bags to become available. And they yeah. were on the slow boat from China, apparently. <laughs> so it took a while. <laughs> but they're here now, and they're getting printed. We ordered the other day. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>